Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. From a letter written to the Insight Prison Project. Today I start my 28th year in here. I laughed very hard when I read that you wrote I might as well be a monk. One of the nicknames they call me is the Smiling Monk. I wasn't always known this way. The first 10 years, I was mean and dangerous. In 1985, I was heavily confined for stabbing a man. My mentor appeared in the form of a hitman for the Irish mob who had become a yogi. He gave me a copy of a breathing sutra and convinced me that I could not live my life out of anger and rage. He put me on a yoga routine with breathing and sitting meditation. For the next two years, I didn't come out of my cell except to mop the whole block and all the tears once a day. I gave myself up to yoga, breathing, and meditation. I followed the breath for a long time and practiced mindfulness. Nothing seemed to be happening. Then I realized that the objects of my awareness began to have texture. By texture, I mean depth. Soon the texture revealed clarity. My mind settled, and I gave up all struggle. I became still. I live this way now as much as I can. I learned to listen, to care. It was during this time that people started calling me the monk of Trenton. The Buddha taught that there is an end to suffering, not an end to pain, but an end to focusing on and resisting and amplifying that pain. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Release and grace are possible. The Thai Buddhist monk and teacher Achanta says, whatever the mind tells you, don't fall for it. It's only a deception. Whatever negative comments and views it offers, just say, that's not my business, and let it go. He describes this as recognizing bad mangoes, what we would call bad apples. (laughs) When we choose a fruit to eat, he says, do we pick up the good mangoes or the rotten ones? It is the same in the mind. Learn to know which are the rotten thoughts and immediately turn from them to fill your basket with ripe, beautiful mind states instead. This is what Buddhists call nirvana, heaven on earth. Nirvana, the Buddha explained, is immediate, visible, 
here and now, inviting, attracting, comprehensible to the wise heart. How do we get there? When greed, hatred, and delusion are given up, the Buddha continues, we no longer cause sorrow for ourselves or others. Nirvana is the joyous, natural peace and happiness we experience when we are not clinging to anything. Sometimes the letting go is so deep that our whole identity drops away. Our hearts rest in luminous emptiness, in awareness, undisturbed and steadfast. I want to thank Kem for this story um, told by the mother of a five-year-old girl and repeated by Buddhist teacher and author Jack Cornfield. So the child had taken a stethoscope out of her mother's doctor bag and was playing with it. And as she put the stethoscope to her ears, the mother thought proudly, she seems interested in medicine. Maybe she'll grow up and become a doctor. And the little girl put the listening end of the stethoscope up to her mouth and said, welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? Yeah, <laughs> letting go is a spiritual practice. <laughs> Paradoxically, letting go is both the goal and the path. When we open our hands, we release, we are generous. When we open our hands, we empty. We can say yes to what comes. When we open our hands, we can open our minds and our hearts. To let go of the past is not to let go of the knowledge we gained. It is to declare ourselves free of the past that drives our present. Consider this advice from the man with responsibility for the entire nation of Tibet in his hands. The Dalai Lama says, if a problem can be remedied, then there's no need to worry about it. And if there's no solution, there's no point in being worried because nothing can be done about it. His Holiness simply can't afford to succumb to despair. Despite the circumstances, he's profoundly optimistic and good-hearted. What is thought, query the Buddhist texts? Thought is your friend. Thought is your enemy. No one can harm you as much as unwise thought. No one can help you more than wise thought. I want to share with you the very specific instructions of the Buddha on letting go. There are four levels of transforming our thoughts and actions, each one more strenuous than the last. These are not for the faint of heart. The first two are very accessible. They should be kept handy. First, he says, like a skilled carpenter who removes a coarse peg by knocking it out with a fine one, so a person removes a pain-producing thought by substituting a beautiful one. 
we begin by identifying a healthy substitute to replace the unhealthy thought or behavior and repeat over and over, healthy replaces unhealthy. Second, says the Buddha, when we encounter unhealthy patterns that are too stubborn to be tamed by substitution, we become more forceful. And when there still arise patterns of unskillful thought, he says, the danger that thoughts will cause pain and suffering should be clearly visualized like rotten garbage, says the Buddha. We can put them down. We know the scourge of anxiety or the danger of being possessed by anger. No good will come from succumbing to it or acting on it. We don't judge. Out of compassion for ourselves, we meet fire with fire, a powerful new intention. The Buddha's third and fourth instructions on letting go are more strenuous, designed for significant challenges that require a more forceful practice. If we are possessed with unhealthy thoughts, he tells us to deliberately and directly ignore those thoughts, turn away, give them no attention. The wildly unskillful thought stream should be gradually slowed and stilled by slowing the breath step by step, as if gradually slowing one's pace from a run to a walk to standing still. It's number three. And finally, fourth, we access the full arsenal of the spiritual warrior. Now we're talking about being in the face of some terrible breach of humanity or shattering betrayal when we've gotten to that terrible place where even the thought of letting go of something is actually what keeps us connected to that thing or to that person. It keeps us chained to the past just to think about it. The Buddha says, such thoughts should be met with force, teeth clenched, tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, determined to constrain, crush, and subdue these thoughts as if restraining a violent criminal. In this way, does one become a master of thought? In this way, one becomes free. Note that these are not pleasant affirmations that we are to repeat while looking in the mirror. These are life and death practices to train the mind and regain our balance after disillusionment and disappointment, to reclaim our lives from the jaws of terror and apathy. Dr. Lloyd Burton is a Vietnam veteran and Buddhist teacher. I have told his story many times before. It is among my very favorites about the power of letting go. He writes, I had served as a field medical corpsman with the Marine Corps ground forces in the early days of the war in the mountainous provinces on, what, on the border of what was then North and South Vietnam. Casualty rates were high. It had been eight years since my return when I attended my first meditation retreat. For all those years, I had sustained the same recurring nightmares common to many combat veterans dreaming that I was back there facing the same dangers, 
witnessing the same incalculable suffering, waking, suddenly alert, sweating, scared. At the retreat, the nightmares did not occur during sleep. They filled the mind's eye during the day, during sitting meditation, during walking meditation, at meals. Horrific wartime flashbacks were superimposed over a quiet redwood grove at the retreat center. The dormitory became the makeshift morgue on the DMZ. I began to realize that my mind was gradually yielding up memories so terrifying, so life-denying, and so spiritually eroding that I had ceased to be consciously aware that I was still carrying them around. I was beginning to undergo a profound catharsis by openly facing that which I had most feared and therefore most strongly suppressed. I was afraid that having released the inner demons of war, I would be unable to control them, that they would now rule my days as well as my nights. But what I experienced was the opposite. The visions of the dead gradually gave way to other half-remembered scenes from that time and place. The entrancing, intense beauty of a jungle forest and beaches so white and dazzling, they seemed carpeted by diamonds. What also arose at the retreat was a deep sense of compassion for myself, compassion for the idealistic, young, would-be physician forced to witness the unspeakable obscenities of which humankind is capable, and for the haunted veteran who could not let go of memories he could not acknowledge he carried. Through practicing letting go, the compassion has grown to encompass those around me as well. While the memories have stayed with me, the nightmares have not. He concludes, the last of the sweating screams happened in silence, fully awake, many years ago. Beloved spiritual companions, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Whatever the mind tells you, don't fall for it. Choose good mangoes. Thought is our enemy or thought is our friend. Freedom is up to us. Letting go is both the goal and the path, even when the path leads to McDonald's. On the other side of letting go is healing, compassion, and peace. May you, may we, may all beings be filled with compassion. May we be healthy and happy and peaceful and free.